Chapter 8 A Lad of Seventeen My granddad and granny, Dorothy and Albert Bradley, live in a short row of terraces near Darnell Road. I love it there. I often go over on my bike to see them. They've only got a tiny garden, just about the size of our kitchen, but it's a real little sun trap. They like to sit out there on deck chairs on sunny days, when they've a few moments to spare, and talk about family matters. Everything interests them, like how my grandpa Jack is coping on his own now, and what our John was getting for his 18th birthday, and how my friends are doing. It puzzles me sometimes that they could spend so much time thinking and worrying and talking about other people, but I suppose it's because there isn't very much happening in their own lives to keep them going. My granny doesn't get out much at all now, unless she's taken, because her breathing's so bad. She's just about had it when she's done her bit of tidying up round the house, so she loves to sit out and enjoy Grandad's rainbow of sweet peas and watch the sparrows and starlings on the wall. Grandad does all the shopping. What he likes to do most is to walk into town along the canal towpath, and I love to go along with him. At the Sheffield end of the canal, the water's as yellow as dandelions. I suppose that's with all the rust and chemicals. All the reeds are crusted with yellow, and where they've been cast up onto the bank, they look like long strands of rusty wire. Grandad says if I'd fell in the canal there, I'd come out galvanised, and I believe him. There's an odd smell, too, like ammonia and pig farms. Nearly all the works along the canal side are closed down. Industrial monuments, my granddad calls them. Great corrugated iron shells with pigeons fluttering in and out of tiny high windows. It's a lovely place for all that. There's a big white mill with dozens of tiny dark windows right at the end of the canal. And when the sky's right and the water's still enough to reflect it, it looks like pictures I've seen of Venice. Sometimes you get sunlight slanting under bridges so the water beneath it glows amber. And if you walk the other way, towards Tinsley, it starts to open out like the countryside. You get ducks and geese on the water, and bulrushes and teasels growing, and no end of butterflies dancing round the odd useless machinery of winches and sluices and all the clutter of the closed mills, and sorrel bright as sunshine sprouting in the brick cracks. And always in the background, there's the roar of the city. Our conversation on these walks would nearly always follow the same lines. Grandad would begin by remembering his early days there, when all the mills would be working, and there'd be the throb of machines and a constant clanging and clattering along the wharves, and barges would be busy on the water. And then he'd say, casually, Are you caught in yet, Jess? No, Grandad, not yet. Tie time you were, then. What are you? Fifteen? Nearly seventeen, Grandad. Seventeen, eh, and not in love? I don't know what love is, really. You will. But I'll tell you one thing, Jess. It doesn't have much to do with kissing and cuddling. But I wouldn't expect a youngster of seventeen to understand that. No, I didn't understand him. Not then. Sometimes on our walks we'd be joined by an old friend of my granddad's. An awkward, shambling, desperate sort of man, not a bit like Grandad. His name was Davy, and I wished he'd leave us alone. He was a tedious talker, and I didn't like his white, mournful face. I always felt I had to talk down to him, 
as if he was a bit simple. Though Grandad assured me that he was all there and not a bad lad. I couldn't see it. He spoiled my walks. At one time he'd worked in one of those canal-back mills. We'd stop sometimes to have a rest on our favourite bench on the towpath and to share the doughnut that Grandad always bought to eat on his way back home. Davy would look at me sideways and swing his stick over towards the little red door of the mill on the opposite side. Are you watching? Are you watching? He'd say, and he'd swing his stick up and up till it was pointing to a tiny black window at the very top. That's where I used to stand, he'd say, right up there, squinting out at sunlight, till Gaffer docked me money for wasting Firm's time. I fancied I could see him there, white face staring, blank spectacles flashing back the sun, time trapped in his seventeenth year. Bet you were dreaming about lasses and all, Grandad would say, offering him his doughnut. Davy would turn a sheepish sideways grin at him, and then at me, only I wouldn't show I'd seen it. Lasses? What do lasses want with me? I never got on with lasses, Albert. Nay, but it doesn't stop thee dreaming on them. And the two men would sigh and move their bits of doughnut round their teeth and stare up at the little window. I didn't like Davy, but I did like his dog. It's one of the daft sort that walks all over you. When we sit down for our snap, he'd eat anything in sight. Grass, paper bags, plastic pot bottles, anything. It ate my chewing gum once when I parked it on my knee for safekeeping till I finished my doughnut. He was welcome any time but that lunatic melancholy of Davy's made my skin creep. One day Grandad and I were about half a mile along the towpath on the way to Sheffield, when Grandad said, Blow it! I've forgotten your granny's library book. Will you run back for it, Jess? Your legs are younger than mine. I don't run these days. I walk, when I remember to. He sat down on a bench to wait for me, and I set off pretty fast for the book. I'd just rounded the bend on the path when I heard familiar barking and caught sight of old Davy walking towards me with his daft dog leaping round him hopelessly after butterflies. There was no way I could avoid him, short of leaping into all that liquid rust. He saw me too, and mocked. As I approached him he straddled the path with his arms and legs open wide in imitation of a gate. Got you now, he chuckled. My granddad's on the bench, I said. It's not your grandad I'm after. It's little blue eyes, he teased. I stayed put in half a mind to run back and feeling silly. Come on, don't be shy. Give us a kiss for Christmas. It's not Christmas, it's May. Let me get past. I only knew him as Davy, but the familiarity of that name seemed foreign now. He kissed his hand to me in mock cavalier fashion, and suddenly my anger was up. I hated him, his old and ugly face with its white frost of stubble. Spittle oozed between the cracks of his yellowed teeth. His spectacles slipped forward so his eyes snapped shut and slit open again, wet and unfocusing. He grasped a stick between both hands and brought it up between his legs. I turned to run back to my granddad, but the dog leapt up, traitor and planted a paw on each of my shoulders, panting hot steam down my ears, frightening me for the first time ever. Animal! I shouted. Stinking, filthy animal! I pushed past Davy, sending him sprawling against the grass verge of the path, wishing I had the courage to push him in the other direction into the canal. 
Temper, temper, he laughed. Can't a fella have a bit of fun? Get lost, I shouted. No wonder all the girls hated you. I ran off up to my granny's with a crazy dog panting after me and licking my legs, and Davy hooting his strange, lunatic, desperate laugh till far up beyond the next bend. I could hear the canal geese hooting in reply, sending the sound up like a siren of mockery and fear for me to hold in my head forever. My granny was asleep in her deck chair. I found her book and hurried back along the road, the long way round, and came down the steps that brought me further down the towpath. I went back in dread to the place where I'd left my granddad. He was sitting on his bench still, dozing off, and there was no sign of Davy or his dog. I had no way of telling Grandad what had happened. It sounded silly. He'd laugh, perhaps, and tell me that Davy wasn't a bad lad. I left it. On our way back, we sat down on our usual bench, and Grandad got his bag of doughnuts out. It was a lovely afternoon, and the buzz of bees finding their way to the canal bank flowers was soothing. We shared a doughnut, and then I waited, as I always did, while he sucked his fingers clean and read the first few pages of the new library book he'd chosen for Granny. You sometimes get canoeists on a canal, and that was what I thought I could hear at first, as a sound of splashing broke me from my daydream. But then I saw the yellow head of Davy's dog bobbing in the water. He paddled over to us and heaved himself out. Watch out, Grandad! We both jumped up as the dog shook himself dry. Where's old Davy, then? Grandad asked it. There was no sign of the man in either direction. The dog rubbed its wet body against our legs and set up a dismal moaning. Funny, said Grandad. I've never seen dog without Davy before. What's up, old boy, eh? Sit down a bit, Jess. We'll wait. I sat next to him with a sick horror in my stomach. I didn't want to see Davy again, ever. Nor did I want to know why his dog was swimming in that yellow canal and whining dolefully at our feet. We sat. Grandad read again. I kept my eyes cast down, listening out for the passing of the three o'clock train that usually starts us back off on our homeward walk again. But then, in all the heat of that Maytime sun, I felt the sudden chill of knowing that someone was watching me. My eyes darted along the walls and sheds and roofs of the mills on the opposite bank, and then to the little red door right on the water's edge, and up and up the rows of tiny black windows, right to the very top floor. The white face pressed against the glass stared down at me, just as it had done in my imagining so many times before. Davy, trapped. A lad of seventeen. I nudged my granddad and pointed. He whistled softly. Hey, he's off his jump, he whispered. Poor old lad. I knew it'd happen. Shall we get the police, Grandad? Nay, why get the old lad into trouble? We'll fetch him down and get him home to bed. We walked back up towards the bridge that would take us over to the wharves, with the dogs snuffling at our heels. Before we left the towpath, I looked back. I could still see the white face in the high, dark window, and I fancied I could see the blank spectacles flashing back the sunlight. I would never have found that mill. Grandad threaded his way through yards and over walls and round huge baskets of coke, 
and stacks of rusted steel till I'd completely lost my bearings. We came to a fire escape and a sign saying, Danger, Asbestos Roof, and saw that the door at the top was swinging open. The dog padded after us. Grandad heaved his stiff legs up the steep iron steps. I was frightened in case he fell. When we pushed open the door, there was a fluster of wings as pigeons clattered out. The floor was partly ripped away. We found an inner staircase, then another, then another, and we stumbled up them in the lofty darkness. When we came to the workshop on the top floor, we had no trouble finding Davy, even in that deep gloom. We could hear him, sobbing. Come on, old lad, my grandad Albert said. Together we helped him out of the building and into the sunlight. None of us spoke. Davy and Grandad made their way slowly, arm in arm, back through the maze of yards and sheds and over the bridge to our side of the towpath. Then I took Granny's book and went on home to tell her that Grandad would be in late for his tea. When he did come home, there was still some sun in the backyard and he had his meal out there while Granny watched a family quiz game on television. I brought his mug of tea out to him before I left and we sat for a little bit listening to the starlings in the eaves and to the rapid high laughter of the television programme from inside the house and Granny Dorothy shouting out the answers. Old Davy won't be going down the towpath again, Grandad said. No point, is there, if it upsets him. I sat on the step and sipped my tea. I wasn't going to say anything about what had happened on the towpath. I wondered if Davy had said anything then. It seemed that Grandad knew. He's a funny old lad, Davy, he said. Alice has been. You just have to know how to treat him. I picked at a frayed bit of my jeans, not looking at him. Remember that do young John had for his eighteenth? We all went to it, some of your pals and some of John's. I nodded. And your Grandpa Jack came. It was the first time he'd been out since poor old Bridie died. We didn't really expect him to come, I said, but he really enjoyed himself. He danced with all the girls. He's got more energy than I've got, Grandad laughed, and I'm ten years younger than him and twice his size. I did him good that do at the co-op. But did you see him when he came in? I frowned, trying to remember. I did, Grandad Albert said, and he looked lost, little and old and lost. And I thought, all the fun's gone out of that little chap, now Bridie's gone. But that young friend of yours, pretty girl with curly hair, what's her name? Katie, I said, surprised. Katie, that's right. She knows a thing or two, that girl. I watched her. She noticed your little Grandpa Jack coming in and sitting down on his own. And you know what she did? She went up to him and put her arms round him. Did you see her? I shook my head. Katie's like that. She's lovely. She is, Grandad said. Some people have got that natural loving in their nature. She just wanted to make up to him for being old and lonely. And she did. He stood up and folded up his chair. The sun was dipping fast. What do you think your friend Katie would have made of old Davy, eh? 
I didn't answer. Grandad took his chair and mug into the kitchen, and I wheeled my bike out of the shed. What would Katie have made of Davy that afternoon, if she'd been down on the canal bank with him instead of me? She wouldn't have run off shaking and half crying as I'd done. I knew that. She might have laughed at him, I thought, and walked back to my granddad's bench with him. She might even have tucked her arm into his and called him her young man. I tapped on their window to wave goodbye and pushed my bike out onto the street. Then I drove my pedals down hard so I was freewheeling downhill with fingers of wind in my hair the way I loved it. I think I understood then what Grandad Albert meant when he said that love was more than kissing and cuddling. I think perhaps Katie knew that already. <laughs> <laughs>